During the Christmas season, we'd spent a few weeks looking at the Christmas story. Um, one, we had looked at prophecies predicting what would come, and just the astounding awareness that God could, 1,600 years in advance, speak through somebody and say, this is going to happen, and then it's 600 years in advance. And, you know, the kind of thing that you're looking at, we have no clue what is that far ahead for us, and yet it happened. And then the, the beauty of him bringing the different pieces, parts together, even of the time where, you know, you have a, a young couple that have to, to go somewhere else because of taxes, and they're showing up right where they need to be at the moment. Um, so those kind of things were stirring to me, but I, I got hung up in Isaiah for a bit, and I want to go back there and, and touch on something before, um, before we go on away from Christmas, so to speak. But this is out of Isaiah 11, and the prophecy was, the prophecy was made, a shoot will grow out of Jesse's rootstock, a bud will sprout from his roots. And Jesse had been the father of David, and so this is a prediction that somewhere through David's line, something is going to happen again. Something new is going to take place. And this is speaking of Jesus. You know, we in hindsight can look and say, oh, yeah, of course. But uh, it wasn't that clear to them. And, and yet we know that, again, this is one of those prophecies hundreds of years in advance that something was going to happen. But listen to... What, what I want you to focus on today is listen to what's said about his life or who he would be or what would take place. This is out of the Net Bible. It says, The Lord's Spirit will rest on him, a spirit that gives extraordinary wisdom, a spirit that provides the ability to execute plans, a spirit that produces absolute loyalty to the Lord he will t delight in obeying the Lord. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, those three things, if, if there's something we would wish for our own lives, it'd be similar, right? We want to be a people of wisdom that understand things and understand the setting that we're in, but we also want that ability to implement. You know, it's not just ha hanging on to knowledge, but it's how do I see this through into application? Um, you know, you, you can find out how to do anything on YouTube, right? But you still got to do it yourself if you're going to take it any further. And yet it, it's said of Jesus that, or, uh, of the one who is coming, it says the Spirit of God is going to rest on him in a way that there's going to be a wisdom about his life that's amazing. But beyond that, there's going to be the ability to execute and then there's going to be this deep loyalty to the Lord that just is willing to obey and relishes in obedience to God. I'm going, Lord, let your spirit rest on me, or let, let it rest on us, right? Let those same kind of things take place. Um, again, this translation is, is something that these things came out this way, because when I... The ESV is closer to what I remember. It's spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. 
So again, it's it, sometimes that reading a little, little different can just kind of jar us and bring us to something. It says, He will not judge by mere appearance or make decisions on the basis of hearsay. He will treat the poor fairly and make the down and make right decisions for the downtrodden. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the order of the wicked will be executed. Justice will be like a belt around his waist. Integrity will be a belt around his hips. Now, some of this in this particular passage is looking at what took place while Jesus was on earth, but it also has a future look that hasn't taken place yet. That's one of the complications when we walk through these passages because there are times when we're not really clear as to, is this already taking place? Is this in the future? You know, Isaiah was looking and it was all future for him. But that said, there's a, a note on his life. It, it says that he's going to look after the poor and downtrodden. That's one of the things that's going to preoccupy his thinking. And he's going to be pursuing justice. Integrity is going to be a, a mark about him. It's, it's going to be visible. It's a part of his life. Let's go to the, the story of Jesus for just a bit. Remember, it says after the, the birth, in the end of Luke 2, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and favor of God was upon him. So again, there's this declaration. This is part of the fulfillment of what was prophesied. But uh, a little bit later in that same passage is the story of told of the Passover where Jesus went with his family to Jerusalem. He's 12 years old. And remember, he didn't go home when he was supposed to. And uh, there are three days out, and then they're back looking for him, worried half to death, you know. And, and he's found in the temple uh, asking questions and talking to people and, and discussing. And it says uh, the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Then the next phrase really catches my attention. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. His mother treasured up these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in the favor of God and man. So, so this mark upon him. But it's intriguing to me that for... All of this wisdom, what does it say about his relationship with his family? He went and was submissive to them. You know, the, this loyalty unto God and obedience unto him, God also came out in a form of submission to his family. That's intriguing to me because we, we live in a day in some ways where parents are almost afraid to, to have their children be submissive to them because they won't fully develop and flourish and become all that they could be. You know, you don't want to squelch in any measure. So was Jesus squelched, or are we just not seeing things quite right? You know? There's a thing where, you know, your culture may be saying one thing, but if, if you're reading something out of the Scripture and it's counterculture, what's the obligation? It's to respond to what the Scripture has. So in something like this, when we, when we are looking in regard to submission issues, there is a measure where Jesus 
in all of the wisdom that he held, still was submissive to his parents. It's an intriguing thought. It's something that needs chewing on. I'll just leave that with you. In Ephesians, Paul makes this prayer regarding the people he's writing to. He says, I pray that I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of Him. So again, Isaiah was saying this would be the spirit that was resting on Jesus, but the next step is to say the Spirit of God can bring wisdom to our lives as well. There's an opportunity of knowing what He desires. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, not doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. When I go down to Picnic Rocks, I always look for the waves because they circle around for two directions, and so there's this um, conflict, so to speak, in the water, and that's why people drowned in that area, because they get caught up in these cross currents. And, and yet, when I look at it, that's the picture I get out of this, where you, know, you, you get things from different directions, and one of the warnings that's coming to us is when we ask from the Lord, and we believe that He's generous and will give, there are times when insights come to our minds and we're going, okay, that's good. And then we start going, or like Charlie was saying, it may not be comfortable with what we've been used to or it may be counterintuitive that what we think is appropriate for the moment or it may be we just don't really like what we just received. And there's a temptation to just say, yeah, maybe I heard and maybe I didn't. And, you know, you start back and you go, oh, wait a minute, I, I, I had a pretty, I was pretty sure that was right. And then the next thing you know, it's, it's back and forth enough that you're just not sure what is going on. And that's the warning that, that James is putting out, is that if you become double-minded that way, you can get lost in a hurry. Even in the wintertime, you know, <laughs> We're going, I can go in the woods because I can follow my tracks out uh, until you make a loop or you walk over the tracks that you had and then you're not sure, you know, and suddenly it, it's confusing. Well, that's the warning that's kind of coming to us. When you receive a nugget from the Lord, you don't want to back off or drop it or leave it or hide it or dismiss it because then you're, you're stepping into confusion. And so the warning comes out. But the, the beauty of this passage is, is that it says he's generous. And he doesn't reproach those who ask, just saying, you should know better. Or you're a fool, why would I give you anything? But rather it's, yes, I have something for you. And to receive it and then walk in it. Powerful thing. Now, I want to head back to that Isaiah passage, but I want you to know it. While Jesus was on earth, the wisdom of God as displayed in his life was not about wealth, 
which often our prayers are about wealth, right? It wasn't about power, which often our prayers are about influence. And it wasn't about popularity. It wasn't about how can I make friends. So at times we're going to have to say, the wisdom of God may not take me in quite the path that I would envision. You know, where I, I, there's an assumption sometimes that if, if the wisdom of God is upon us, then wealth is going to follow, influence will follow, popularity will follow. It's, that's not, not what Jesus' life was about while on earth. Now, there is coming a time of great power displayed through him, right? But it's the timing is, is the critical issue. And that's what we have to discern in our own lives. You know, what is he calling to us to in this moment? So back to Isaiah. Here's part of the, the harmony or the peace that's, that's spoken of regarding the influence of Jesus. A wolf will reside with a lamb. And a leopard will lie down with a young goat. An ox with a young lion will graze together. And so a, small a small child leads them along. A cow and a bear will graze together. Their young will lie down together. A lion, like an ox, will eat straw. That's completely contrary to everything we know in regard to nature, right? But he's saying the potential of the peace of God to be fully displayed on earth has things that we would only dream about. A baby will play over the hole of a snake, over the rest of a serpent, an infant will put his hand. They'll no longer injure or destroy my entire royal mountain. There will be universal submission to the Lord's sovereignty, just as the waters completely cover the sea. So again, this yielding unto the Lord is going to be displayed in a way that at this point is a is a wonderful dream for us. But it's, it's more than just a fantasy. It's a, an actual knowledge that these things will take place. At that time, a root from Jesse will stand like a signal flag for the nations. And nations will look to him for guidance. And his residence will be majestic. So there's a time when the nations are drawn and it says, at that time, the Lord will again lift his hand and reclaim the remnant of his people from Assyria and Egypt and Pathos and Cush. That, in some ways, has already transpired. But I'm assuming that there's also a future view of that. Israel's dispersed. Judah's scattered people from the four corners of the earth will be drawn. Ephraim's jealousy will end and Judah's hostility will be eliminated. You know, the the kingdom had split. And there's this idea that even the brothers will be getting along. Sometimes that's, the, that's, the, that's almost an unbelievable idea in family, right? The brothers would actually enjoy each other's company. Well, this is Israel's history, but he's, he's declaring that that's going to happen. He says they'll swoop down the Philistines. The, he's, he's saying that the, the, the nations that have hindered them will be set back. And he says even the Euphrates will be dried with the idea that there's going to be a clear path 
back to Israel. And there will be a highway leading out of Assyria for the remnant of his people. Now, that happened in some measure. I don't know about the future, but I'm assuming there's a picture of that to be held even in the future as well. If you get a better interpretation, you let me know afterwards. Um, there will be a highway leading out of Assyria. Okay, so that was, that was an incredible passage, and while we're kind of on that, I want to go to another passage in Isaiah that has a similar picture. This is Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom. It says, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. So he's saying the things that have been dried up and seemingly worthless are suddenly going to be full of life, blossoming. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Part of what we have experienced already in the Lord is that he's transforming our lives. He's, he is saving us. It's like, you know, when you read the, the tenses, it's like, I have been saved, I am being saved, I shall be saved. There's a future picture of, of life with God that's different than even now, but it's, it's more wondrous than what we have even in this. But it, the, the whole picture of, of God restoring life. You know, we saw how he declared it of the wilderness and the desert, and sometimes our lives feel that way, right? But then he's also declaring in regard to even like health, he's saying there's, here's a picture to remember. He says, you know, the, the lame will walk. You know, those that are feeble will be brought to strength. There's a salvation for their lives. And he says, the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, layman will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Now, all of these miracles are seen through Jesus, but that was, just a, that was just a taste, so to speak, of what lies ahead. The full restoration of creation is something that is, is to be looked at and said, there will be an amazing time, completely different than what we know in this setting. And even though we have a taste of it through salvation, and even though we've had experiences of personal healing, so to speak, there's an awareness that there is more in store. The waters will break forth from the wilderness, streams from the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground a spring for water. He says, the driest of places will suddenly have water in them. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. I love that. It says it's a clear enough path that even a fool can make the, get the right, to the right place. You ever have one of those moments where you're going, I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on. Not sure how to get there. Not sure where we're going. And yet, in this is that promise of hope through the Lord. That there's a path for our lives 
that even a fool's not going to mess up. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no lion shall be there, nor shall ravenous beast come upon it. For they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. So it isn't a place of danger. It's a place of safety. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. The everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, when I read these, these old pictures, so to speak, Scripture, that these amazing pictures, you know, there is a certain poetry involved. And the question in our minds is, how literal is this going to be? Not sure. But the idea is that there is a restoration available. And the promise made through the root of Jesse is that that, that restoration would come through him. We know that to be the person of Jesus Christ. And as we rely on him, it isn't just about, you know, saving us from past deeds and, and stupidity. But it's also a saying there's a fullness of life available as we yield our lives to him. That's a forward-looking thing, wondrous thing in him. I don't think any of us could have imagined the path that Christ would take, the suffering that he would go through for us, and uh, even the fact that he would function in the miraculous in ways that we it's astounding to us, and yet um, it was a perfect path for what God had ordained for all of time. In the same way, our life paths might not always go quite like we think they should, but it's still a good path in Him, and appropriate for what He has planned for us. As we yield ourselves unto Him, as we trust in His Spirit to guide our steps, benedicted worship. This, to me, is always a precious time of year because I'm always kind of evaluating and then planning. And, and in the Lord, what a wondrous time to, to anticipate His goodness of uh, new things in Him. So, may your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to walk on your highway and your path. May have the fullness of your spirit, granting them wisdom and the ability to make application and to walk with loyal obedience. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.